Well, praise the Lord, church. I am so excited for this opportunity, as always, to be able to share the word of the Lord with you. And I encourage you in this moment, just go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. That's 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter. Uh, 2 Samuel, for those who are new to Bible, is in the first half of the Bible. Uh, So I want you to go ahead, and it's towards the beginning. Turn there, even on your smartphones or your devices. Go ahead and locate it. Uh, on the Version app or whatever, whatever Bible app it is that you are using. But I'm excited to be able to preach the Word of God today. We are in the midst of a challenging time. Nonetheless, God is still in control, and I'm excited about what He's going to share today. So if you will, uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 1, and then we're going to take a moment and pray and jump right into this Word. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Somebody say Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. Everybody say, A son of Jonathan. A son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. At Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. At Lodabar. And then the Bible goes on and it says in verse 5, Then King David sent and brought him to the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Somebody say always. You will eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring, hi- bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then the Bible says in verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that... My Lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. My God. And we'll stop there. Bow your head with me as we pray and jump into this word. God, I am so thankful for the opportunity to be able to declare your word. Thank you that there is such power and potency herein. Lord, I pray in this moment that your power would overtake me, that you would use my lips to declare your word, especially in a time when hope is as much needed, when hope is much needed. And I pray, Lord God, that you indeed would open hearts to receive it. And don't just bless us here at Serve City, but every church in the greater Toronto area that's preaching your gospel, do mighty things in and through every pastor, every woman and man of God that opens their mouth to declare your word. And not just here in our region, but around the world, wherever your gospel is being preached, cause power and life change and transformation to take place. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen listen many people are you know raising their voices against racism and injustice that exists not just in a personal fashion but in a systemic fashion and you know one of the stories that i've been sharing 
you know, many of you may be hearing this for the first time, is the fact that throughout my life, even from a child, in a systemic fashion, I was one who was a, a recipient of racism, started at the hands of my teachers uh, who told me, uh, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Heap, who told me that I'm not going to be anything more than a truck driver or a track runner. And this was a microaggression in regards to something or related to something that I had said about my aspirations. And although I knew that what he was said was condescending, I didn't realize that there were racial implications, that he was limiting me because of my skin color. But not only this, I was told that I was not smart enough to play a musical instrument by my teachers. You know, and I remember uh, looking and peering through the window at the white kids that were able to play in the band. And I wanted to play the saxophone. I'll never forget. I wanted to play the saxophone. I, you know, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I wish, I wish that I could, you know, be smart enough, as they had told me, to be able to play a musical instrument. And now, you know, for those who know me, I'm so passionate about music and playing music, you know. But as a child, this really affected me. And not only this, as I continued on throughout the course of my life, you know, I had a number of encounters that reminded me of the fact that people thought that I was limited or that I was incapable of being able to progress past certain limits based upon my skin color. And one of the most crippling and damaging and challenging experiences I had was, I, you know, I remember I was working a job. And, you know, because of my background, I'm Afro-Caribbean because both my parents are Afro-Caribbean. You know, I was born in the United States, so I'm African-American. Uh, and I moved here to Canada when I was one, so I was raised here, you know, in a predominantly uh, visible minority area uh, here in Malvern. But when I was 17, I relocated to the States to go to school where I ended up meeting my wife. I ended up getting my first jobs and, you know, started my family, started pastoring there. And at some point, I was working at a suit shop. I was working at a suit store, and I was selling suits, and there was a co-worker of mine. And in that moment, in just working with my co-worker, I'll never forget, he, he would question me in regards to who I was. And in, in, in to some degree, he was calling me a mutt when I told him, he's like, where are you from? And I told him about my culture. You ever been there? For some of you, it's very difficult for you to even describe where it is that you're from. And so I was in that place where I was having difficulty. I was telling him, hey, I'm from here and, you know, and my parents are from here and this is where I was raised and this is such and such and obviously I am black, you know, and, and he's like, who are you? And he started in jest and in a comedic sort of a fashion, starting to address me as it pertained to who I was. And this was a challenge to me because not only was I battling all of the things that were said to me up from childhood around who I was and what I would be and what I would become because of my skin color. But now I'm in this environment as an adult where it's compounded by someone who is challenging me and is condescending again in regards to who I was, my background, my culture, my ethnicity, the places that I live, my skin color. And it was like the perfect storm in that moment and I left there having an identity crisis I left there in a moment where I was like man who on earth am I I know that I'm a black man but 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 you know but there were so many things about myself because of what was said to me and now what this individual had declared to me that challenged me and made me feel like I was worthless and so I, I got to the place where I started, you know, uh, in a concentrated fashion, looking down on myself and, and really spiraling out of control, trying to figure out who indeed I was or to find value in all of the aspects that make G. Andrew Beresford who G. Andrew Beresford is. I'm in Christ and, you know, I'm saved and I know that I'm headed to heaven and praise the Lord for all of this. But at the end of the day, there was such devastation attached to the attack that came to my skin and my ethnicity and my culture and everything that made me who I was. Am I the only person that's ever been there? You know, if you've ever been in 
that place, I want you in the comments to just say, me too, me too, me too. Well, listen, you know, the fact of the matter is, and I want to start here because I believe that this is a message that, you know, because many of us are not progressing and it's based upon the fact that we don't have an identity. We don't know who we are. And as we're continuing this neighborhood watch series, the fact of the matter is that many of us watch this don't know who our neighbor is. And so we can't love our neighbor like we love ourselves because we don't even know who our neighbor is. And I'm not even talking about identifying them in terms of which one of these people around you is your neighbor, but many of us, we don't know how to care for our neighbors because we're not interested in their identity. Consequently, we are treating them the way that we are because we don't understand who they are. And then there are many of us, if we were to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, we would do harm to them because we don't even love ourselves. And this is the reason why we don't love ourselves like me. It's because we're in an identity crisis and the decisions that we make and the future that we paint and the things that we attempt to do or not to do are based oftentimes on the limitations of the experiences that we have. Can I just go deeper in this thing? And I want you to understand the goal of the gospel is not to assassinate our cultural, our racial or our ethnic identity, but the goal of the gospel, realize, remember, God created each and every single one of us imago Dei, which means in his image and after his likeness ultimately. And so if he created you the way that he did from the parents that he did, from the background that he did, he was intentional about this. And watch this, even in the context of Christianity, you and I are only going to be able to glorify God to the best of our ability when we allow Christ to live in us, watch this, through every facet of who it is that we are. My God, are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the desire. This is the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is not racial and cultural uniformity. The goal of the gospel is that we experience unity, watch this, and glorify God in a unified fashion, according to John 17, with every aspect of the diversity that is represented in the body of Christ. And so, Many of us, even as Christians, we don't fully understand who it is that God has called us to be. And we are not adding to the world or the body of Christ the things that we are to add to the body because we don't fully appreciate and understand who it is that we are. This is so powerful because remember the picture of heaven in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. The picture of heaven is that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, all sorts of ethnic diversity. This is John the Revelator. He sees this, that they all are gathering before the throne of God. This is the picture of heaven and the new earth. And so what this means is that my racial diversity, my cultural and ethnic background, all of these things are going to follow me into eternity some people think that you're just black for this lifetime or you're just white for this lifetime but no your racial and your cultural diversity your ethnicity will follow you into eternity this is why we see the picture of heaven in revelation 7 9 every tribe every tongue all of this is included at the end And so I'm believing the goal of this message, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to go beyond yourself. And we're talking about neighborhood watch and looking out for our neighbors to learn who your neighbors are. But not only this, those of you who are in a position, who are, dis- who are called to go out and love, you got to understand who you are and love who you are so that when you love your neighbor and when you're looking out for your neighbor, that you're able to love them and loving them like yourself is for their betterment as opposed to their detriment. And this is powerful because when we look at this passage today, here's a story about an individual that gets invited and has a seat at the table. This is powerful. I want you to note this. Here it's a story of a guy named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth, especially here on this Father's Day, he is born and he is raised with some pretty crazy circumstances. At five years of age, both his grandfather and his father are killed. And so he grows up with a crazy set of circumstances. First of all, his familial situation is jacked up. He grows up with the absence of not just his father, but his grandfather. 
I want to talk to somebody today because I know on this Father's Day, sometimes it's difficult for you because some of you, you may have lost your natural father. You may not have any father figures in your life. You may not even have a mentor or something of this nature. And then even there are many of you, you were born into life not even knowing your father. It's not even that you lost your father. You've never even known your father. Some of you, you were born into a scenario where your fathers walked out on you. And so you didn't have a paternal figure in your life not because of something you did but because of something because of something that they did a decision that they made and oftentimes this has been a hindrance to you from progressing because of this but Mephibosheth in this scenario the Bible lets us know 2nd Samuel chapter 4 is where it unpacks what has transpired it says from verse 4 note this Jonathan the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet Then it goes on to explain this. It says he was five years old when the news about Saul, who was his grandfather, King Saul, and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, watch this, he fell and became lame. Everybody say lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. This is crazy. So note this. Not only is he born into a household and into a scenario where both his grandfather and his father had passed away. But all of this uh, was compounded when it was that, you know, his nurse who was well-intentioned trying to get him out the house before something happened to him drops him. And causes him in that moment, causes both of his legs to break. And so now, not only is Mephibosheth fatherless and grandfatherless, but now he is also living and has to grow up with a natural and a physical disability. And if you know how people in the times of old were in a position where disabilities were seen as curses from God, even now in many countries, they throw out children who are born with disabilities or have disabilities. And so they were looked down upon in a massive manner. I don't know what it looks like for you, especially for someone who's watching and you're in a position where you are experiencing limitations and things that were the ramifications of the fact that you may have grown up without a father or a father figure. And it it might not be uh, that you grew up without a father figure. There may be something in your life that is now a handicap or a disability. But today, I I just want to encourage you, especially in the racial climate that we're in right now, and we're talking about neighborhood watch, you're going to see where I'm going. I want to jump into this story because there is hope. In chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, the Bible makes it clear that David, David who is now king, David, who has a historic relationship and friendship and covenant with Jonathan. Everybody say Jonathan. Jonathan's friend David ends up becoming the king of Israel. And David, when it is that he goes and he defeats all of Israel's enemies, he says, you know what? I I love Jonathan so much. I'm in such covenant with Jonathan that my desire is to show favor to whoever is left in Jonathan's house. He don't even know off the top about Mephibosheth. This is how lost Mephibosheth is in the mix. Come on, somebody. You know, he was best friends with Jonathan, but because of what happens with Mephibosheth and how he gets lost in the mix, David is not even aware or cognizant of Mephibosheth. You ever felt like you've been lost in Lodabar? Like you've been in a position, especially when we're talking about race, where you're in a position where you feel like you are lost in Lodabar you might even be working twice as hard you might be doing all sorts of stuff but you feel like you are lost I want you to see what happens here because he goes on and he asks and he inquires and then the Bible makes it clear that when Ziba the servant of Saul uh, who is now passed away comes he lets David know about Mephibosheth And I want you to note this. I want you to note this because in verse 6, here it is. uh, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David says, Mephibosheth. And he answers, Behold, I am your servant. Now this is nuts because David, uh, Mephibosheth, who is lost in Lodabar, gets an invitation to the king's table. Oh my. I want you to see this. Note this. Mephibosheth did not go looking for David. 
But David, but David goes looking for Mephibosheth. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I want to give you this. I want to give you this point, uh, and we're going somewhere else, but I still think this is good, and this one is for free. Here it is. Number one, you don't have to force a seat at the tables God has called you to. Let me say that again. You don't have to force a seat at the tables that God has called you to. Man, I want you to understand this. You don't have to force a seat. There are many of you that think that you have to kiss behind and you got to do all sorts of somersaults to get what God has for you. Listen, no, this is why Psalm 23 declares that David says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God prepares the table. Come on. You don't have to prepare the table. You don't have to bust the door open. You don't have to act the fool. You All you got to do is trust in the Lord and God will open doors. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but there's somebody that you've been compromising. You've been trying to fight your way to the table and God is saying you don't have to fight your way. If you are trusting him, he will direct your path. Come here, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. The table that God wants you to sit at, God will open the doors. I'm telling you, there are tables that I am at right now that I could never have earned or worked or fought to get there, especially with many of the things that are in place right now. But when God wants you at the table, he will open the door. That's some good news for somebody right there. Come on, somebody in the comments put good news, good news, good news. Listen, you don't have to force a seat at the table. So David goes looking for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, behold, I am your servant. And David says to him, don't fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage. And watch this, what he says in verse 8. Look at his perspective of himself. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog? such as I, my God. Man, Mephibosheth, his perspective of his self was deplorable. His perspective, his self-worth, the way that he viewed himself, he thought that he did not deserve to sit at the table because of his physical limitations, because of his past and what happened to him, because he was lost in Lodabar and his communication, his vernacular was based upon his perception of himself. When I'm talking about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Like I said, many of us, we can't love our neighbor effectively. Or if we loved our neighbor like we loved ourselves, we would love them. We would do them a disservice. Come on. Because of our perspective of ourselves. And so this is imperative. I want you to understand. Here it is. Point number two. Watch this. There's more to you than your condition. In fact, somebody in the comments, I hope this is helping you. You ought to say there's more to me than my condition. There's more to me than my condition. Watch this. David was going after Mephibosheth because of the covenant that he had with Jonathan, even though Jonathan was gone, even though Saul was gone. Come on, somebody. He says the covenant and the relationship that I had with Jonathan supersedes any of this. So it don't matter to me if you have fallen. It doesn't matter to me about what happened with your past. The call that I have on you, the invitation at this table goes beyond there is more to you than your disability man I don't know who I'm talking to there's someone today that you feel like you can't move forward because of what happened to you in the past you are more than that molestation come on you are more than that physical disability for somebody who's watching this I just saw uh, uh, there's a lady that I follow is an incredible woman of God and she has a son that they were that they were telling that is that she he was was not going to progress he was not going to go anywhere and because of autism and it's amazing he is not old he is getting uh, invitations from multiple universities to come and be there and if you hear him speak if you see him you would be astonished at the progress that has been made I love to when the devil says no and when the doctors say no how God will often show up come on and will look past your inability will look past the stuff that the people said that you couldn't do and that he will do it through you to be able to show that with man some things may be impossible but with God no 
thing is impossible. Luke 1, 37. Come on. So David's invitation of Mephibosheth was not based upon Mephibosheth's limitations. There's more to me than my condition. There's more. There's more. I want you to understand this uh, because there are many of you, watch this, that you are in a position where you are allowing your handicaps to hinder you from accepting God's invitation. When David shows up to Mephibosheth, he says, I'm your servant. What regard do you have for me, someone who it is a dirty dog? Imagine this is his perspective of himself because he don't realize that there is more to him. There is more at play. And so he is to the place where he is resistant of the invitation to the king's table because he is viewing himself based upon his limitations. I know we're all the way in, but I want to tell you the title of this message is Don't Stop at the Drop. Don't Stop at the drop. And so in this moment, I, I can't go any further considering the racial climate and the acts that is rigorously coming towards the root of racism. I want to challenge and I want to talk to my black brothers and sisters. Come on. I, I want to I talk to you in this moment, especially and not only this, I, you know, for my white brothers and sisters and others who are on the outskirts at this moment, I want you to eavesdrop in on this conversation because you may not even understand and know who your neighbors are. And this is why it's difficult for many of you to rise to the occasion in this moment and stand and bear your brother's burden and your sister's burden and to watch out and to look out for them in this time when their pain is manifesting. And so I got to talk to my black brothers and sisters. No, I'm not talking about black supremacy. I'm not talking about how black people are better than others. I know that there are other people in the story. There are amazing people of color from all over, from different regions of the earth and ethnic backgrounds that are amazing and are a part of the story. Come on, somebody. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I believe as a black man and as a black pastor, it's my responsibility. I got to tell, I got to help to educate and encourage my brothers and sisters to understand who it is that we are and who it is that is in our history, and to know that there is more to us than the drop. Come on, somebody. And we live in a climate in the day and age where there are a lot of people who are leaving Christianity because they don't understand that there is, even within the context of Christianity, that there is ethnic value and that there are black people, Africans, that contributed to the, uh, the, the formation of church history and theology. And consequently, they're leaving and they're going away to false teachings and false religions and all sorts of things that call either black people supreme or get to the place where they take them away from Christ but I'm here to tell you that your blackness and your Christianity can coexist and that there is value even though it may not be celebrated even though it may be suppressed come on even though you may not have heard of it before the fact of the matter is that it exists and it is important and it is valuable and you and I got to get to the place where we stop waiting for other people to give us information that we have access to come on there are millionaires that are on the other side of this camera that look like me there are people there are people just google them black millionaires and billionaires and people who are rising beyond the drop to be able to create a different future for themselves this week I've been in prayer and even in fasting and the Lord has put on my heart and I heard him sharing with me, son, you need to understand many of y'all are to the place where you think that the sum total of who you are is the drop. Because of things like slavery and the transatlantic slave trade where Europeans came in and they stole you from Africa and brought you to various places and enslaved you. The narrative of your life and the and the the things that you do are all based from that or you stop at that and most definitely watch this the reality of things like systemic racism I have experienced yes and the fact of of things where I've experienced prejudice and racism at the hands of teachers and in grocery stores and in church come on somebody and all sorts of scenarios that have transpired that I've experienced racism 
And consequently, there are many of us, and me included for many of years, that I was unable to progress and that I was unable to move forward. And this might even be the case with you. Or I allowed the limitations of things that happened because of slavery and because of racism. Those were the things that I allowed to determine my future, whether it was a teacher or something of this nature. And the Lord put on my heart to let you know, black brothers and sisters, I want you to understand and some people get offended when you start talking like this because there are people who don't want you to know your worth there are people who don't want you they can start getting scared when you realize who you truly are but I want to tell you some things about yourself do you understand because like Mephibosheth we get stopped we stop at the drop but there is more to you there is more to us before slavery and after slavery and I believe that God has a plan for black people when we tap in and understand that we are more than the drop somebody in the comments just go ahead and put don't stop at the drop don't stop at the drop did you know that there are many of you don't realize that there are African kings do you realize that there were kings that looked like you that there are kings and queens that look like you. Come on, can I talk about it? Do, many of us don't know about Afonso I. Afonso I was the king of Congo from 1506 to 1540. He was an individual that promoted Christianity. He was known for his scholastic endeavors, and he became the first king to resist slavery. How about Makeda, the, the queen of Sheba in 960 BC, the Ethiopian queen? Or how about Taharka? The king of Nubia from 710 to 664 BC. And this is this, this king, uh, the, the, the king Taharka, what I love about him, the king of Nubia, he's actually in 2 Kings 19 verse 9 and also Isaiah 37 verse 9. He was an ally of Israel. And, 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 and so he makes it into scripture, even though his name may be rendered in a different way because of the language. But not only this, you know, uh, Menelik II, the king of Abyssinia from 1844 to 1913. He consolidated independent kingdoms into one solid empire, a.k.a. the United States of Abyssinia. And this is Ethiopia resisted European colonization. These are people that are in your story. How about Kama III, who was the king of Bakwanaland? He resisted European colonization. He was known by missionaries as Kama the Good or the Great. He's responsible for scientific and scholastic advancement, massive crime control, and was honored by the English for his call to maintain freedom. This is, these, are, these are kings. These are black kings that many of us don't even know about. Queen Zinga, the Amazon queen of what is present-day Angola from 1582 to 1663. She was an excellent military leader. And she, she waged war against the Portuguese slave hunters. She was determined to wage war. And she did this for 37 years. Or how about Bahanzen? Bahanzen was known as the King Shark. And I love this, this king. 1841 to 1906. Right? And he was known for his strength and wisdom. One of the most powerful West African kings. And watch this. I thought this was cool. He had a division of 5,000 female warriors. I think about Black Panther, you know, when I think about uh, Bahanzen, the king shark. And he was credited with some of the finest songs and poems. These are black kings. These are African kings and queens that many of us never hear of. Many of us never think of when we think about who we are. We usually just stop at what happened to us. We just stop at the drop and we are hindered from moving forward. Can I even tell you about church? Come on. If it's okay, say, say it's okay. It's okay. You know, even as it pertains to the formation of church history. And as it pertains to, uh, to, to theology and orthodoxy and things that we uh, believe today as Christians and that we hold to many of us when we think about theologians, we're usually only thinking about guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and these, these, these individuals who are white-skinned and, and, and many of you who are white, you don't even know 
that there are African church fathers, that there are African individuals that although they may not have fit in the box of the Greco-Roman Europeanized version of Christianity, there are valid church fathers and theologians and expositors and, and, and individuals that contributed greatly. Some of them were individuals that spoke Latin and Greek. And many of them we don't even realize were even African because of the whitewashing of Christianity. And because many of them are painted and depicted, if you Google them or look them up, as white guys. Tertullian. And Tertullian uh, is, it was, in, was, a, was a second century uh, theologian. He's a Christian theologian. He was an apologist. He was actually the first person to use in Latin the word Trinitas, which means, which is, talks about God, describes God uh, at being a Trinity. And so he is the one that coins this term. But not only Tertullian, but also, but also uh, Origen. Everybody say Origen. And these are going to be on the screen for you. Origin in 186 AD. He was a church father, a scholar, a theologian. He was regarded as one of the most important theologians. He was the son of a martyr. And these individuals, none of them are perfect. It's not to say that they are, but neither are the white ones. There are, it is just nuts, man, when people try to peg things even on theologians posthumously and try to discount them. But they have massive contributions. Not only this, but guys like, like uh, Athanasius. He was an arch archdeacon, uh, 296 to 373. And he is an individual that is known. He is especially known for establishing Christ's divinity and this whole idea that Jesus is co-equal with the Father. This is, this is Athanasius. Uh, and, and, and this is the thing. So Athanasius was, was so passionate about this thought process around the divinity of Christ that he is known for arguing with a, with a false teacher by the name of Arius. And at that time, Arius was going around teaching that Jesus is a created being. And this is powerful because because of the debates, it was so widespread, the debates between Athanasius and Arius that Constantine of the time is this is the reason why the Council of Nicaea at 325 AD was called. So Athanasius, he is the one who is responsible for this thought process. But not only this, one of the most common guys that is portrayed as a white guy is Augustine. Augustine of Hippo. He is, a, he is an individual that, uh, that, is, that is responsible single-handedly for shaping the entire Western Christian tradition throughout the Middle Ages. Augustine, this, this church father, this African church father, had, he, was, he was a preeminent philosopher and theologian. And, you know, I don't have to get into all of these things that he has to share. But, in fact, John Calvin, a white theologian who is responsible for so much of the theology that many Christians believe today, it is Augustine's teachings on the depravity of mankind that influenced John Calvin. So I want you to understand this when we're talking about about our history not only are there kings and queens in our history before and after this idea of slavery come on somebody and the horrid nature of slavery but there is all there are also even in the context of christianity come on alongside all of the other incredible theologians there are amazing white theologians and we celebrate martin luther and john calvin and all these wonderful guys but at the end of the day black people need to understand who they are and who is a part of their history and also white people need to broaden their horizons and it's not just the black people there are asian scholars and theologians and indigenous people that have incredible things to say and so i'm just talking to my black brothers and sisters right now and challenging you because of what's happening in our climate and because i want you to understand who indeed it is that you are but notice this, I'll even take it a step further because, see, those guys, those guys, you know, like Augustine and Athanasius and, and all these individuals, they spoke Latin and Greek. And so consequently, they were more accepted because they spoke the uh, predominant languages and they were in this position. But there are even individuals who were in African context because many people, they're against, they're against 
uh, Christianity because they think that Christianity just started with the Atlantic slave trade or with those who uh, used it to try and enslave black people. But Christianity was in Ethiopia prior prior to the, uh, slavery and this is what we're talking about even the ethiopian eunuch you know the story in the book of acts maybe you don't and you should go and check it out this is an ethiopian eunuch from ethiopia who gets converted to christianity and this is way before any of the slavery that we know of in history and so ethiopia has a history of christianity where it was willingly accepted not forced upon them by white enslavers but the thing is that there are theologians that because their language was different they wrote they were rulers and theologians and they wrote in uh, the native languages and consequently because of this they they were they were not accepted and so at the council of chalcedon you know there's this is a scenario where many of them were rejected because some of the terms in greek and latin they weren't able to uh they weren't able to fit in their languages in their coptic languages or their syriac languages and consequently they were rejected and pushed to the side come on can i talk about don't just stop at the drop and so as a result there are even more theologians and people and, and heroes in an African context that you may not even hear about. Watch this. Uh, how about Benjamin I of Alexandria? He was an Egyptian known for, uh, as one of the greatest patriarchs in the Coptic church. He helped guide and comfort the Coptic community during the early days of Islamic rule. When Islam was coming in and, and, and running rampant, you know, he was one that was used in this regard. Or how about Zara Yaqob? From 1434 to 1468, he was the emperor of Ethiopia. He was what known as and regarded as the greatest Ethiopian ruler since the 5th century. Up to that time, look at the gap between the 5th century and he was in the 15th century. Now look at this. He's known as a renowned author and is responsible for three important theological works. One of them regarding the Trinity when he writes in his native language. We don't know about him. We know about, know about him in a theological sense because many of these guys were rejected. Well, this is somebody that I love, Walata Petros. She was nuts. She was amazing. This, um, this Ethiopian uh, she-warrior. She was, she was someone that, you know, was a Christian. She was a Christian. She grew up in a Christian context. And then the king ends up showing up and saying, everybody has to be Roman Catholic. And the king, uh, because he was converted privately, then tries to now make everybody Roman Catholic. And she's like, nah, fam, we're not going this way. And so she ends up, there's death threats out for her and all of this stuff. But she resists to become Roman Catholic, to, get, to rid herself of this Ethiopian Christian uh, per background that she has she's responsible for forming seven religious communities she ends up being exiled to Sudan and she ends up uh, creating seven religious communities right for people especially that were unable that were desirous of not becoming or resisting this Catholic uh, dominance that was taking place at the time and so uh, you know it was nuts she's also known for performing miracles there are miracles that happen in her life that are documented it is insane alongside a female friend of her African individuals that you may never hear of because they wrote or they expressed or they preserved their Ethiopian or their original language so this is powerful black people I want you to understand don't stop at the drop there's more to us than slavery there's more to our history than getting shipped over here from Africa there are still there is still such rich heritage in you and there are many of us that we're not progressing forward we're not accepting invitations to the table we're even turning away and our perspective and our view of ourselves i'm believing that in the season ahead and i'm going to just be obedient to my assignment some of y'all is uncomfortable but that's okay i guarantee if you would rise up and be everything that god has called you to be i believe that there are kings and queens there are prophets there are prophetess there are pastors and theologians and philosophers stop waiting for somebody to hand something to you come 
come on other communities that are racialized and that have issues they're not out there waiting for anybody to put something in their head start your own stuff come on entrepreneurs come on start your own stuff open your own things and your own businesses we need to start working together instead of tearing one another apart i believe that god has a massive assignment on africans on the african diaspora all over the world and it starts with our perspective of ourselves don't stop at the drop somebody in the comments put don't stop at the drop not only do we got to be to a place where we don't force seats at tables that God has not called us to and not only do we have to get to the place where we don't allow our handicaps to hinder us from accepting God's invitations but we also got to be to the place where we use our privilege or our progress to be able to make room at the table for others. David didn't forget where he came from. In this case, David, you know, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's a story where the candidate for being the king is called upon and all of his brothers are brought out, every single one of them except him. And he is in the back. There were times in his life where he was overlooked or he was looked down upon. And so in that moment, he gets to the place where he doesn't forget where he's coming from. And so he uses his progress to invite Mephibosheth to the table. What I love, what I love, what I love is especially of people like Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman didn't have privilege. Come on, somebody. Harriet Tubman didn't have privilege because she still had black skin. You know, it, the white privilege is something for those who are new to this whole topic is because there are certain things that you privileges that you have in the society and the system that we have today because of your white skin. So you don't have to worry about running through neighborhoods. You can be from the trailer park. You could have grown up with next to nothing. Uh, but there are certain things you won't have to experience on the same level of even if a black man has a, you know, five doctorates and lives in the wealthiest neighborhood. There are certain things that he is going to have to worry about because of his skin that you will never have to experience. And that is white privilege. And so Harriet Tubman didn't have privilege. She was a slave, but Harriet Tubman got free. Praise the Lord. She got free and she came to Canada. Praise God for Canada. She shows up in Canada. And when she gets to Canada, instead of saying, hey, I'm here I've progressed because she had progress. Even though she didn't have privilege, she had progress. And she says, I'm here. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go back and I'm going to travel and I'm going to go and get as many people as I can that look like me. Come on, somebody. It's not enough for me to be free, but I want to go because of this love that I have in my heart, because I know who I am and what has transpired. I can go and look out for my neighbors who look like me and bring them, my God, give them a seat at the same table. Oh my, I don't know who I'm talking to. You might not have privilege. Come on, but you have progress. I love my dad because my dad has used every aspect of his progress, everything that he has learned, everything that he has grown into that to be able to pass it on to me so that I too can progress. Come on, in this life. Come on. I love people like Pastor Rob Miko in this city. Come on, who is a black man that is doing incredible things that God is using and he is a man in my life that has gone out of his way to invite me to tables that I never would be in a position to be able to have before but not only people like Rob Miko but I love people like even my father in the gospel pastor Addis Moore the Reverend Dr. Addis Moore in Kalamazoo Michigan who is somebody that is not just an incredible pastor but is an astute businessman he is a amazing man of God and just a man in general who was a uh, someone who was a high up in the uh, in the business world and in the corporate world prior to even operating with excellence in ministry and there's so many things that he used his progress to be able to pass on to me that now I am a better man because of the things that he passed on to me who am I talking to you might not have privilege but you have progress and black people it's time for us to start 
waiting for people to compliment us. You know why I did what I did today? Why I said what I said? Because sometimes you need to hear it from yourself how valuable you are. You need to hear it from people like that look like you. Many of us sometimes we're like crabs in a bucket and we're trying to hold people down. But I believe that our perspective ought to be to the place where we are welcoming people, our neighbors to the table, especially if they look like you. We got to get to the place where we make the decision that the generations after us, they're going to be able to start from a different place. I am determined that my kids, I am determined to be able to leave an inheritance for my children. I'm determined to use my progress that when it's time for my sons to buy a house and I'm able to say, hey, son, here it is. Here is a down payment on your house. I am so glad my wife comes from a family of progress. A family that loves one another where the brothers in the family, they make it a, a, a goal and a desire to treat one another, to help one another out. They don't wait for anybody to do anything or to give them anything, but they use their progress to open businesses and to, to, to help one another acquire property and real estate and things of this nature. I'm so grateful that now, even as being a part of my wife's family, that I'm able to see certain things so that we can pass it on to the generations after us. There's more than the drop. In our scenario, my God, oh my, 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 my. Somebody in the comments, you ought to put, you got to use your progress. Notice I said progress and privilege. And there are white people who are wondering and you're saying, man, you know what? How on earth can I use my privilege? There are certain things that you experience. There are certain things that you have access to because of your skin color. And you have the opportunity to use your privilege to be able to help other people to help your neighbors your neighbors have value i just told you about it your neighbors have value some of them may have been hindered and been held back because of the drop there's more to them than the drop come on mephibosheth and you got to get to the place where you are using your privilege i love it how jesus talks about in luke 14 verse 12 to 24 talks about inviting people who are marginalized and who are who are rejected and you got to get to the place where you are willing to go beyond yourself and use your privilege to give people a seat at the table this is a shirt that i got when i went hunting for prairie dogs fishing on the big horn in Montana. Listen, fam, I never expected that I would have been in Montana. I have never been to a place like that in my entire life. It was one of the whitest places that I have ever been. But I got this shirt when I was in Montana. I had one of the greatest and most freeing experiences I have ever had. The story behind this shirt is that my pastor, Pastor Pierre Duplissis in Rochester, New York, the Father's House Church, you know, um, I remember sitting there on the couch and I was seeing pictures of people going fishing and hunting. And I literally was on my couch saying it'd be cool to go on one of these trips. And it was nuts because I didn't know anybody that would get me to that place where I'd be able to be able to get there and have a seat at the table. And I'll never forget, almost a year later, I didn't ask for it. I didn't look out for it. I said nothing about it. I was sitting in the same couch and Pastor Pierre calls me up. And he says, hey, Andrew, uh, do you want to come? And he has a South African accent, the coolest accent ever. Uh, I love South African accents, but I can't mimic them. And he goes, he goes, Andrew, you know, would you like to come fishing? Would you like to come hunting? This is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to take. Will you be, would you come and do this? And so it's nuts because I, I'm like sitting to myself, blind blown, that I would get an invitation to come hunting and fishing. This is a white pastor, but he invites me to come out to come hunting. And it's nuts when I call hunting and fishing. So I'm from the hood. You know, I grew up in the hood in Malvern. Mans are not out here in Montana shooting stuff, fam. If we're shooting, it's for a different reason. Real talk, right? But while I'm there, this is nuts because he didn't just give me a seat at the table. I'll never forget, I didn't have the right shirt for that occasion. And so when I walked outside... Instead of people, I saw a couple of looks like, what's this guy wearing? Pastor Pierre. And this is why, one of the reasons I love him so much and I love our pastors so much because of their heart. Pastor Pierre, he goes, he goes, Andrew, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And he pulls me aside and he takes me inside and he says, just wait here for a minute. And he runs upstairs and he comes and even though he's significantly smaller than me, he finds a shirt that rises to the occasion. 
And he comes down and he gives me this shirt. And this shirt that I have, I'm able to go and change my shirt and put it on. And I went out with the right shirt. Come on, somebody. Because somebody used their privilege to invite me on a trip that I never would have ever dreamed of going on. And to give me an opportunity and a seat at the table. But then when I got there, he wanted to make sure that the person that he invited, he wanted to make sure that I also had the right things, the right equipment to be able to move forward. Oh my. And so I'm eternally grateful. He might not even understand how grateful I am for this shirt. And I've kept it because it reminds me of someone who is white. When I feel like there's no one out there, I'm able to look back at this moment. And in the moment with all of the black brothers in my life as well, who have allowed me, who has used their progress to help me to get forward and to help me to be able to move forward. And now I'm able to look to the place where I can help and use my progress to help others. It reminds me that it's not the end, that there's more to my life than the drop. Come on, somebody. There's more to my life than the drop. And just like Mephibosheth, who thought that he was lost in Lodabar, that on a split second, that God can turn it around. And that our perspective of ourselves needs to be bigger than the handicaps that we have. Who are you inviting to the table? Who are you using your progress and your privilege to invite? Mephibosheth is not coming running after you but who do you need to go running after who do you need to create an opportunity for come on somebody black people do you know yourself and do you know your history come on that's not just confined to February or one month in the year but it's a part of major history know yourself stop waiting for people to validate you know yourself know who you are know who's in your history and let us move and raise up and let us move forward. Can I just talk to my brothers and sisters? Move forward into a future that cannot be stopped. Come on. You can't stop a black man that knows who he is. Come on, fathers. Can I talk to you? Especially now in this season, the emasculation of black men was one of the biggest agendas of the slave owners. And many times they would go and they would break the buck. They would, they would, and I can't get into the details of all of this, but they would do everything they could to break the black man down and make him feel like he is nothing and make the people who are around him feel like the black man is nothing and I want to tell you black men that you are strong and you are brave and there is a call on your life that many in the world are scared of but I dare you to raise up I dare you to walk out everything that God has called you to there are people who won't like it but I'm here to tell you God likes it come on somebody and you and I we're gonna raise up and I'm believing my son's life are gonna be different come on my daughter's life is gonna be different and there are many black boys and girls who are going to grow up in a different scenario and situation because we learn and know who we are and most importantly whose we are and I want you to note this I want you to understand this because there's another story of someone who didn't stop at the drop Bible makes it clear that we all were created in the image and the likeness of God and because of sin, the Bible says over 2,000 years ago that Jesus, he doesn't say, you know what? Human beings are flawed and they're struck and they, we, let's just wipe them all out. God says, you know what? I'm going to come to earth and I am going to die for the sins of mankind. I am going to pay. I'm going to use my position to come and to pay on their behalf because I see more to them than the drop of sin. Bible makes it clear that our first parents, Adam and Eve, that they disobeyed God. And consequently, because at that moment where there was a drop in, in humanity, the fact of the matter is that as a result, that this disability of sin has passed on to mankind. And consequently, because of this, this, this sin that is passed on, the Bible makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. But God, God, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at the drop. Bible says in Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Jesus, what does it mean? He came and he died in our place. Come on. He, he saw more value in you. He thought you were worth it. And not only did he die in your place, but he also rose from death with all power. And as a result, through his death, he extends to all of us 
in an equitable fashion, we get to come to the cross. And then as black men and as white men and as, as, as and women and, and, and Asians and, and, uh, and indigenous people and Indians and all sorts of people, all of us get to be exactly who God has created us to be to the fullest extent of what that looks like when Christ is inside of us. And there are aspects of our culture and all of this that are checked at the foot of the cross, but we get to be everything that God has called us to be, to bring Him glory and also to complement one another, to love God and to serve one another. And so in this moment, I want to call you to put trust and faith in Jesus. Put your trust and your faith in Him today. He died for your sins and He loves you despite what you've done, despite the drops in your life. There's a seat at the table for you. Come on, somebody. And so I'm getting ready to lead you in a prayer of commitment. If you're that person and you're like, today is my day. Today is the day I want to put trust and I want to put faith in Christ. I want to give him my life. The Bible says, if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you will have life eternal. Romans 10 and 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from death, that you would be saved. So you can be saved today. You, the, the drop of sin doesn't have to stop you from experiencing relationship with God right now and that you can be a part of that beautiful picture in Revelation 7-9. Every tongue, every tribe, every culture, every ethnicity coming before the throne of God and worshiping him in the end of it all. And so I'm getting ready to lead you in this prayer. If that person is you, whether it's your first time or whether this might even be a recommitment, you may have run away from God, but he hasn't run away from you. This prayer doesn't save, it's Jesus that saves, but this is a line in the sand. So pray this prayer with me if that's you, and we just say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and rising from death with all power in your hands. Come into my life, be the Lord and boss of my life, and be with me now and forevermore. I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.